are elite. For everything you need to know about Mercedes Monet's AEW debut, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome, everyone! Oh, that sounds bad, doesn't it? (laughs) Welcome... To the Cultaholic Classic Raw Review. You see, whilst the other Cultaholic lads are down south in the UK saying, Hello, Wembley! We are here in opposite sides of the planet saying, Hello, Hudson Centre, home of Raw in 1993. And who be we? I be Fake Geordie with... Very little voice left, Tom Campbell. And I am here with the bear in the big blue bar cage. The head pen of Cultaholic. He doesn't need a pencil because he gets it right every time. Justin Henry's here. Hi, Justin. I got to say, with your messed up voice, you, you sound like a cross between the Sandman and Alex Rocco, but with yeah. a British accent. <laughs> I'll take that. Get me a beer. Get me a beer. Um, the the uh, Justin before this show started uh, drew this wonderful comparison to what today is going to be like, and I'd like Justin to explain it. Which one? The SummerSlam one. Ah, uh, yes. Um, when Tom here told me that his voice was a little bit on the mend and not really up for doing his usual energetic uh, selling for this podcast. I said, you remember the SummerSlam where Bret Hart and Davey Boy Smith headlined at Wembley? Well, of course he does because he's from – that's his native land. It is indeed. And I said, remember when uh, Bret tells a story that Bulldog, minutes into the match, had whispered in the Bret's ear that he'd forgotten the entire complex layout of the match, so it was up to Bret carrying the entire way? I said, I said okay, just listen. You be Davey Boy. I'll be Brett, which is very presumptuous on my part. No, that's absolutely fine. <laughs> but we'll we'll get through this, and uh, if I have to do any of the heavy lifting here, so be it. If at any point I am a bit more quiet than normal, it is because my voice is shot to pieces. I um I made the mistake of uh, attending a wrestling show on the Friday night, uh, going out out. On Saturday night, which means really going out. 
and are then commentating on a wrestling show on a Sunday. So the voice has just compacted, compacted, and then doing my normal job uh, doing a radio show today as well. So, Justin, they got the rest of me, but you get the best of me. <laughs> we shall see. <laughs> we shall certainly see. It, it is appropriate that your voice is a little bit off today because we're about to lose our voice on Monday Night Raw. That being, this being the last episode of Mr. Robert Bartlett. I have lost my voice in protest. To the end of Rob Parlor. That is exactly why I've done it. Yes, this is April 19th, 1993. The episode was taped one week earlier. It is from the Mid-Hudson Civic Center in Poughkeepsie, New York. And this is the last time we will ever hear or see Rob Bartlett on a WWE program. Leave the memories alone. I don't want to see... Just the way it is, just how it used to be, as sung by the Sandman tonight. Leave the memories alone. Don't Actually, change. I sound like Luna for Sean. You're not getting Luna for Sean. Sherry. <laughs> Jesus, careful now. I'm gonna die. We have an hour to go. Pace oh, yourself. Good gravy. Okay, I'm going to draw another comparison. Remember when Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania 6 blew up by running down to, all the way down the Sky Dome aisle to the ring? I am currently three quarters of the way down the aisle at the Sky Dome. <laughs> don't, don't make me be Hogan. Please don't make me be Hogan. <laughs> I, will put you in a chin, I will put you in a chin lock and hold you there for five minutes if need be. Oh, no. Uh, incidentally, on this very date in wrestling history, just to chuck this in, uh, Ric Flair beat Jimmy Snooker to win the NWA Mid-Atlantic United States Championship. What year was that? That was the year something. 38 years ago. So, so ni- 19... Wait, from 93 or from 2018? Oh, from 2018. So it was back in 1980 that this occurred. Okay, just just making sure I'm, I'm like, God, how old is Flair? <laughs> far, far, far too old. God bless him. Uh, also the year that Chris Benoit and Edge defeated Ric Flair and Batista to win the Raw Tag Team Championships in 2004. Mm-hmm. Exciting times. And um, here we go. 2000 and a uh, 2007 sorry uh daniel sowold jr was sent home from an impact taping and suspended for conduct detrimental to the company daniel sowold be jr better known as austin aries yes aries is uh he's had quite an interesting history with tna has he not he certainly has with everybody i believe and I do believe that April 19th would be the anniversary of when Cactus Jack McFoley became the TNA World Heavyweight Champion, beating Sting at Lockdown 2009. What a time that was. 17 years after they tore the house down at Beach Blast. What a, what a dream. What an absolute dream. What a strange <laughs> well, decision to make Mick, Mick Foley your main man at, at that time of his life. It was, a, it was only for a couple months, but... You know, they had mixed. He might as well justify it a little bit. He got another book out of it, so that's the important bit. Yes, countdown to lockdown. 
So let's well, crack on is. with Monday yes. Night Raw, sir, and I will sh- shut up and let you do your thing. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, it is pretty fortunate that your voice, if it had to be for any show, that it would be for this show, because this is not... This is what you. This, this is the definition of a filler show. Yes, I'm very, fo- very Philly. No, not not Philly, because Philly is a good thing. <laughs> Take it from me. This is um. I'm gonna draw a football comparison here. American football. Now I don't know if you've ever watched American football before. I've tried. It keeps Thank- stopping and starting. Well, that's kind of the point. But anyway. Oh, okay. Let's say the offensive team, you know, the, the, the half of the team that has the quarterback and possesses the ball. Let's say they had the ball back in their own territory. It's first down, and there's a penalty, and they lose 10 yards. So now it's first and 20. On, second, on first and 20, they run a small play. They gain almost nothing. Second play, they get sacked for a big loss. They're at their own 10-yard line. It's like, it's like, now it's like third down and 27, 28 yards. There's no way they're converting this first down on third down, so to speak. So what they, so what do they do? They concede, and they just hand the ball off for a small gain just to make room for the punter. They ran a play that they that was basically just a junk play that was going to do nothing, except just just to run a play. They run a play. That's what this role is. It is a show just to have a show because everybody else is over in Europe. And that's where the money is right now, the European tour. This is the definition of a third down small run play. I tried really, really hard, Justin. I really did. But when you, and, and you're one of my favorite humans on planet Earth. But when you were explaining American football, this is all I could hear in my head. Okay, so why do I have to suffer for your poor comprehension skills? If anyone wanted to know what was going on in my head at that time, it was exactly that. <laughs> but, so what I'm saying, so I, but I get the analysis that you're making. Like, we are, this is not a super show with good people because there's all the good people are somewhere else. <laughs> yes. The, just to put it simply, and, I, and actually your sound make, makes sense there, they were phoning this show in. Hey, mate, I'm so glad you're on form tonight. I'm so glad. <laughs> so let's get into the show because there ain't no point in beating around the bush anymore. The big main event for this show, because keep in mind in these days, it's like one match where it's like name guy versus name guy and a bunch of squash matches. The big match this week is a non-title match. Pitting Money Incorporated, the World Tag Team Champions Ted DiBiase and Erwin R. Scheister, against the Beverly Brothers. That's that hot set up new babyface team, the Beverly Brothers. Well, you see, I thought they were a babyface team, but during the match, they threw us through a loop, which we'll explain. The show begins with DiBiase and IRS against a black backdrop, staring off into the distance, cutting a promo on the Beverlys. This is like the most bare-bones hype job you've ever seen in your life. They're just standing there, almost like they're filming like a class portrait, yes. a school portrait. That's what I got here. It looks like they're taking a, a school photo. Except there's no 
There's no special design background. They're just standing against a plain black backdrop. As if they're in like outer space. And they're staring off, off beyond the horizon. And and they're kind of uh, just you know talking trash in the Beverly's. And then they cut to the Beverly's, who are facing the opposite direction. And they cut their own very basic promo on Money Incorporated. I half expected them to pan out to show both teams facing each other. That's what I wanted to happen so badly. I just <laughs> saw that and thought, they are totally in the same room together. They are totally <laughs> in the same room. Yeah. I was hoping it'd be like the electric company, where the Beverly's would say a word, then DBS and IRS would say a word, and they would turn into a compound word. That would have been great. Oh, that would have been so good. The Beverly say fire. Money Inc. says truck. Then they all go, fire truck. <laughs> Dumpster fire. Dumpster fire. <laughs> this reminded me a little bit of, do you remember uh, Saturday night's main event? And at yes. the start of Saturday night's main event, they'd have that the music and you'd have promos with the wrestlers saying ah tonight i'm gonna beat him up and it's gonna be hilarious <laughs> it's a format they brought back when they brought back saturday night's main event ahead of uh wrestlemania 22. Mania 22 where they had the face-to-face -face. i thought that was great i love that this felt a bit like that mm -hmm. it's very basic hype it gets you jazzed up for the show mm. But this was just like, this was the crusty poses for trading card photo of promos. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been more effective if Ted DiBiase had just said, this is a promo spot. We're going to talk about my Beverly Brothers. And then IRS goes, mean words. And IRS and goes, taxes. It couldn't have been more basic than that. <laughs> so that's our main event. Oh, deep joy. But we open with Razor Ramon versus Virgil. Oh, now you want to talk deep of... joy. <laughs> These two men were future members of the New World Order. Just keep that in mind. Oh my God, they were. And Scott Hall and Vincent. Oh my days! That never even occurred to me. That is deeply tragic. <laughs> now speaking of phoning in, now I love Razor Ramon. One of my favorite characters from that time frame, Scott Hall, could always suck you in with his swagger. Just a hell of a performer. He could work at them. He could work a technical match. He could work a big man match. He was a great entertainer. He could tell a story without even doing all that much. Which is to say, in this match, he didn't do all that much. This was, this is like a house show opening match where they're just. We're doing just basic tricks to keep the crowd involved. Just to give me an idea of what I mean. Early on in the match, him and Virgil have this pseudo-elaborate fight over an armbar. Virgil gets a hammerlock. Razor just casually walks over to the ropes, his face not even grimacing or anything, and he just grabs the rope for a break. Then they do the whole spot again. Virgil ends up with a waist lock. Razor just walks over to Rips again and just grabs her ropes to break the hold. This is riveting stuff. <laughs> this is most of the match. <laughs> Razor's face basically said, we have five more minutes to fill. And then we're heading to Europe. 
this was this was just it was just a contrast a really crummy contrast of two guys from two different generations neither of which could really be bothered tonight i was waiting for razor to yell off camera at tizim just like like how much left all right two minutes okay what else can we do um have we done an arm bar yet ah crap we have um we did get a funny moment in this match. Well, funny to me. I don't know. This is the Bebachamania variety where Virgil tries for a roll-up, but Razor's back is against the ropes. So how is that going to work? Yeah, that's true. They, they, that, that, <laughs> I never even spotted that, but that, now you've said that, that is a f- further example of just how much they were phoning it in. It's like, that doesn't make sense logically. Ah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I got a pizza yeah, Virgil kind, of, yeah, Virgil kind of lost sense of uh, where he was in the ring, and I mean, I laughed out loud. And I, I, I will say, just to give you an idea of just how taped this show is, Savage's uh, Savage's when he raises his voice, it echoes so much off the studio walls, Stamford. It's like. Well, thank God they didn't say they were live. Although on the network, on the description for this show, it does say that the show is live, which is BS. Were there elements of it that could have been live? Uh, the commentary not. was live. Yeah. L- live from a, from a back room somewhere in Stamford. <laughs> and like, even, if this, even if this show was being broadcast live, there was nothing live about it. It's a shame how... I think we mentioned this the other week on this very same podcast. It's a shame how even in 2018, so many great commentators haven't cracked that sound like you're really there sound. Like Mauro Ronaldo, I love him, but you can totally see where the where the seam is when he goes from doing live commentating of a match to a pre-recorded bit. Right, and and it's it, it it was just blatantly obvious here, and it, it happened right at the spot where Razor he he Razor would have this one wear down submission where he would do where he would kind of grapevine your legs like he would put you in an STF or something, or some sort of like Muda lock death lock type move. So he's got Virgil down. He crosses his legs over, and he's pulling up on Virgil's head, and Virgil is reaching for the ropes. The problem was the ropes. We're literally four inches away from where Virgil was. So Virgil had to pretend like he couldn't reach him for a while. Like, what's wrong with your arm, Virgil? Have you have you somehow broken a tendon that you now cannot reach? It would have made sense if Razor had this move on a Tyrannosaurus Rex. And his arms could not reach the ropes. Or an alligator or whatever. But Vir- Virgil has to kind of just pretend like he's struggling for the ropes. Ropes are right there. Even Savage Adventure, like... Just grab him. Why isn't he grabbing the ropes? Way to make Virgil look smart, guys. Vince McMahon clearly wasn't paying much attention either because he said, oh, he kind of intonated on commentary that Virgil Virgil was about to make a comeback as Virgil was being hoisted up for the razor's edge. It's like, I don't don't think he's coming back. I think he's done. It's the most elaborate sunset flip we've ever seen. (laughs) This is going to be the best move. This move is going to basically create the cruiserweight division. When he hits it. Oh, he didn't hit it. Okay, fine. 
So Virgil misses a springboard cross body. Razor just grabs him and says, I'm not going to do the super back suplex or anything else. I'm not even going to gesture for the finish. I'm just going to hit the finish now because screw it. Bored now. Picks Virg- yeah. <laughs> Picks Virgil up, drops him with a razor's edge. Crowd cheers noticeably for this. And that was it. It was a lot like the Virgil Bigelow match where it was dull until the final minute. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Virgil's whole career is basically wrestle for a while, uninterestingly, but the final minute is going to kick ass. Guido just had just the final minute. Yeah, they could have just shown Bartlett doing something for six minutes and then cut to the finish. Like, God, that must have been one hell of a match. Maybe like a three and a half star Virgil match. Imagine if you could edit a Virgil match like that. I'm going to watch a video now of just the last minute of every Virgil match from 1991 to 1993. So we panned the ringside for the first time. Vince Savage and Bartlett didn't even do the stand-up at ringside to start the show. Yeah, I thought that was uh, missed and missing. Considering that we know, uh, and we know this because of hindsight, we know this is the last time we're seeing Rob Bartlett. Would have been nice mm-hmm. to have seen that moment for the last time. Yeah, but he couldn't even get that moment, could he? There was a weird bit when they were talking ringside. So they do cut to ringside. And they're going through what's coming up on the show tonight. And Vince McMahon says, oh, also, Rob Bartlett will be interviewing Brett the Hitman Hart. And Rob Bartlett goes, no, no, I won't. And we think, oh, that's just jokes. He'll be fine. And then, he, he, as as we will see as the show goes on, like he was pretty adamant that he wasn't going to interview Brett the Hitman Hart. I think they want to have someone professional interview, interview the now former world heavyweight champion. But then so why Vince... even instigate this whole thing? That's the bit I, I was think... curious about. I think they were just back-selling the whole Luna, Sherry, or Fracas from the week before. Yeah. Because Barlow did have the Band-Aid on his head, and he had some makeup bruising around one of his eyes to indicate that he'd been in, in the fight of his life one week ago trying to survive as you know, these two wild women were just trying to kill each other ringside. And Barlow, like every handicapped fight with his wife, gets caught up in the uh, in that backwards um, – in that human tornado that goes around <laughs> – and this gathers everything that's in its path, and Bartlett was the poor bastard to happen to get swept up in that. So, um, Savage and Bartlett are talking, and Bartlett points at a bruise on his face and mm-hmm. looks at Savage. And then Savage almost immediately stops what he's saying and goes, You tripped, Rob! <laughs> Whoa! That got dark! Savage is beating Rob Bartlett. No wonder Rob Bartlett left. No wonder he he left. Maybe he wasn't fired. Maybe he was just scared for his life. Actually, in the uh, last match, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the one Rob Bartlett zinger that I heard when uh, Virgil was trapped in a submission move and Vince said, how would you counter a move like that, Rob? And Rob said, you'd pull a knife. (laughs) It's just oh okay here's the action kids don't do that it's like i just kill the guy he's not wrong it's true and i remember 
years ago when me and my I used to watch wrestling with my with my brothers, and my older brother Jim would always say when there were two guys feuding, like Stone Cold and Vince. He'd say, <laughs> "Why doesn't Stone Cold just pull out a gun and shoot him? <laughs> That'd be the end." I thought about that too, like in an NDQ match. It's like, well, there's no disqualifications. Can't just like bring like a business, like a grenade launcher. It's, it's like in a Money in the Bank ladder match. Would Rusev be allowed to bring his tank out and shoot the briefcase down? He should, if it's no disqualification. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's is that outlined in the rules? Is is it like a a Rusev clause where you can't bring, you know, heavy mission like artillery to the ring or whatever? It doesn't say a dog can't play basketball. <laughs> it's it's like in, when you read the rules for mixed martial arts. One of the rules says no sexual touching. Oh, and it's like I was gonna grope my competitor. Well, that's my point. It's like, it's like you know somebody did that in order for there to be a rule. Yeah, somebody attempted to get to third base in the middle of an MMA fight. It's like there's rules in American football, not to go back to that, where you're, it's like you can't put your fingers under the guy's face mask to eye gouge them because of a, a Cowboys lineman used to do that years ago. You can't put stick them on your gloves to catch a ball. It's like because somebody went and did that. All these rules are created because somebody once did it. Like the yes. electrified fence that says, please do not urinate on the electrified fence. That's because there because someone did, did it. It's like Homer Simpson said, see kids, because of me, they have a rule. <laughs> so we go to our next match, which, which is thankfully quick. Giant Gonzalez versus my favorite jobber in yours, L.A. Gore. L.A. Gore is in the house. He could have been a thing. <laughs> L.A. Gore was Diamond Dallas Page before he discovered yoga. <laughs> he's, like a, he's like a DDP that likes a night out. <laughs> he, he's like the... Um, He's like Jackie Mason and Caddyshack, too, because Roddy Dangerfield wouldn't do it. So find someone who's kind of like Roddy Dangerfield. So do you reckon the WWE tried to find somebody that was kind of like Diamond Dallas Page, but wasn't? Can, can <laughs> we call him? Can we call him Diamante Dallas Page? <laughs> Diamante? Diamante Dallas Page. Like the fake diamonds. Diamante Dallas Page. <laughs> Works for me. Yes. L.A. Gore, Dear. congratulations. You are Diamante Dallas Page. Is he alive? That I do not know. Right. Because I think we should interview him. I don't know how often Cultaholic Classic Raw Review will get interviews, but I would like to interview L.A. Gore. See, according to this, this is from, this is from Cage Match. It says he is inactive, but there's nothing to indicate that he is deceased. Somebody commented on his cage match page. He has one comment. Somebody gave him a 10 out of 10. Is your username Billy Snow the Boxer? It was that day. Okay. <laughs> this is what he wrote about L.A. Gore. I remember this guy being used as enhancement talent, but he always gave it his best no matter who the opponent was. He put up a fight against Mr. Perfect. He beat Dancing Wolf, Bob Nash, and Will Wilson... He won a 15-man battle royal, and he was a tag team champion at some point of his career, though he only held it for one day. He still proved himself to be a formidable opponent. People have got Netflix series with less of a biography than that. Just according saying. To, according to his cage match match listing, he has not wrestled, assuming this is this holds up, 
He has not wrestled since November 22nd, 1996. Wow. Okay. So he's he's out of the game completely. He went to a no he went to a no contest with a man named Bodyguard for Hire at a show in Plainview, New York. Okay, so that was the last time that we would have seen him. Yeah. Yes, in the 90s he lost matches to the likes of Tito Santana, Nikolai Volkov, and I did find the battle royal that he won. That guy was not lying. That battle royal included Tommy Dreamer, Taz, Nikolai Volkov, uh, someone named Damian Stone, who I think may have been briefly in ECW, Surfer Ray Odyssey, there's a name, a man named Flex Lavender. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. It was an Flex IWC. Lavender. Wow. Flex Lavender. Wow. Sadly, Flex Lavender is also inactive. Right. Okay. Oh, I've just looked up a picture of Flex Lavender. And... <laughs> Right. Okay. Justin, if you Google Flex Lavender, you get a picture of Flex Lavender and then you I get a link to a website to buy a Fitbit Flex 2 in lavender. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't want the Fitbit. Well, do. <laughs> I did find a promo from Flex Lavender and IWCCW. International World Class Championship Wrestling. God, God, we're getting way off track here. Let's go back to L. Let's go back a few forgotten wrestlers here. Back to L.A. Gore. Okay, let's let's say this about L.A. Gore, then we'll move on with the rest of the show. Okay, um, a few people have written blogs about this and uh, articles on other uh, reputable wrestling websites about this, but I. I'm going to use the power that I have been bequeathed in 2018 of Justin Henry and the greater brotherhood and sisterhood, hi Chelsea, of Cultaholic and say this. If you know where L.A. Gore is, 
if you have contact details for L.A. Gore, let at Tom Campbell know. Let at J.R.H. Writing know if you don't want to talk to me. Not bothered anyway. <laughs> we will get him on this show. It would be my honor to interview L.A. Gore. Oh, my. It would be an honor and a privilege. L.A. Gore, if you are listening, friend, we extend the, the hand of friendship to you. We want to find out what you've been doing. Get in touch. Call me. In the meantime, L.A. Gore had his hands full, quite literally, with the giant Gonzalez. Now... This match is only like a minute and 20, and Gonzalez kills him pretty quickly. Everything looked bad except for the finishing choke slam, which actually looked good. It looked like, I a, gotta say it this... looked like a, a proper choke slam in the sense that um, Undertaker and Kane's choke slams, they get hoyed up into the air and then smashed back down. He literally looked like he struggled to lift him by the throat, but did it anyway. Like he deadlifted the guy by the throat and put him down which looked pretty vicious, and that's, sometimes that's all I ask for. Mm-hmm. So we now go to my point here, which is a lot of people criticize the Giant Gonzalez gimmick because of the stupid bodysuit. That it's just a full-body jumpsuit with airbrushed muscles and patches of hair sewn to it to make him look like some sort of chupacabra from the Andes Mountains. <laughs> now... Here's my problem with with the, with the costume. Besides everything, <laughs> here's my problem. Besides all things, yes, yes. <laughs> the people in charge of the costume, the seamstress, the designer, whoever else, did not take the requisite ten seconds necessary to hold up pieces of fabric to Jorge Gonzalez's skin. To look for a, an approximate match. <laughs> because what we have here, we have a man with very white pallor for a bodysuit, even though he is a Latino male who has, who, has, who has naturally tan skin. So you have a tan head and neck and a presumably white body with patches of fur on it. That look like two pays that have been just strapped to them. It's a bit like the inverted Essex effect, <laughs> in which people will get spray tans and leave white bits out. He's had like an inverted spray tan. It's like he laid in a tanning bed while wearing like a prison jumpsuit. <laughs> he said, "Just the appropriate bits. His face, his hands, have been yes. suitably tanned." Now. Is this a different suit to the one he wore at WrestleMania 9? Because it looks lighter. Yes. Uh, I think they put it in with, like, the uh, with the wrong laundry, where, like, it, it fades <laughs> some clothes. <laughs> That's what it looks like. They put it in with one of... They put it in with Virgil's barbershop trousers, and now it's got brighter. <laughs> it's... It just looks so bad. Because I can't bear to think that somebody thought, let's make two of these outfits. What this I is so good, we're going to make not one, but two. Right. I mean, what I don't understand, when he was El Gigante in WCW, he wrestled shirtless with, like, bicycle shorts, knee pads, and boots. It's like, what is wrong with him... 
you know, being shirtless. Other than you not missed being out the tinfoil on his head. He had tinfoil on his head. Okay, well, that's what smart people do. <laughs> Who know what's going on in the world. Stop the ideas <laughs> getting into the brain. <laughs> yes, yes, John Gonzalez was the original uh, conspiracy theorist. <laughs> That'd have been a much better gimmick. So, so now Jesse Ventura carries on his legacy forever. The other thing I need to point out about Giant Gonzalez during this match was his little jobber jog as he came down to the ring. Like this menacing, imposing eight foot something figure who halfway down towards the ring just starts jogging. <laughs> like he's one of the brain busters. Yeah, like just doing a little jaunt. Like that, you couldn't be any less intimidating now. You've done a little smiley jog. Why are you jogging? Are you in a rush to get done? <laughs> and the ring goes, All right, I'm a heel. And he starts walking normally. <laughs> Finish now. Bye. Runs off waving jazz hands. Bye, everybody. <laughs> I think he just want to get this show over, just like everybody else. He just wants to get gone, he wants to get to Europe. The faster I get down there, the faster I gotta leave. I, I, I will say there was one other cool moment in this match where L.A. Gore won't even stand in the ring during introductions because he's so afraid of this beast. So Gonzalez reaches over the top rope, grabs him by his head, and drags him to the apron. That was impressive. Just grabbing him by the head and hoying him into the ring. There are some cool elements to the gimmick. It's just he was he was not a good performer because his size limited him. And that's all there is to it. It's very but, much like with Andre the Giant. Same thing with Andre. His size, whilst it was intimidating, meant he was near the end of his career, at least quite limiting. Uh, yes, I was going to say, early, like, like, like early 80s Andre ruled. Oh, he was throwing drop kicks and stuff like that. <laughs> doing tombstone pile drivers. Ridiculous. I'm sure there's a video of him doing a moonsault. I, Shooting Andre Press. Oh my god. That's what I'm making later on on Fire Pro Wrestling. <laughs> Seven dead, 400 injured. <laughs> that was just the crowd. Yes. So, so now we go to a promo with Luna Vachon, who is apparently in some sort of chamber of horrors. Because there's, there's handcuffs and chains hanging from this doorway. And it's... Well, it's what you'd expect to have a Luna promo. Sensational Sherry! No. I can do it tonight because my voice is yeah. rubbish. And you're just talking normally right now. That's just how I'm doing. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> describing word for word what she said. I gotta be the best woman around here. <laughs> Brilliant promo. I loved it. I am the woman of the nineties. That's it. The woman of the nineties. I sound like Gilbert Godfrey. I am <laughs> the woman of the nineties. Hey, Sherry, have you considered Aflac health insurance, car insurance? I hate you, Junior. That's a quote from the film Problem Child. Yes, yeah, we all nice. fell in love with Gilbert Godfrey. Well, love is perhaps a strong phrasing, but... <laughs> but no, I, this I, was a great promo from Luna. Really enjoyed this. Really enjoyed the passion and the fire and the energy. She is something so different on the roster at this point. She is a breath of fresh air. She really is. But I got to see how effective this promo was. I have a cat. His name is Harley. 
and he tends to fall asleep next to me when I'm watching TV, either at my feet or on the couch next to me. And he, and he's a very heavy sleeper. Like I, I mean, like you got like cattle prod him to wake him up sometimes. Aww. When at one point in the promo, Luna says the word fury, and she like shrieks it. He jumped to his feet. It startled him. Oh, bless. So, Luna, even eight years after her untimely passing, is still leaving an indelible mark on the people and animals who came after her. Ah, oh, thank you, Luda. So then we go into this, I almost want to call it a match, but I don't even know if this was a match. This is actually one of the worst jobber matches I've seen on Raw to this point. Tatanka versus Art Thomas. The biggest star in wrestling, Tatanka. If you only watched Monday Night Raw, you would assume that the biggest heels are Money Incorporated and the biggest good guy is Tatanka. He's here all the time. Tatanka is the absolute workhorse. And boy, did he have his work cut out for him in this match because I don't think his opponent had ever wrestled a match before in his life. Art Thomas is the second wrestling Art Thomas. Yes, there is a sailor, Art Thomas, who is posthumously inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame as part of the Legacy section. He was a trailblazer in professional wrestling. But he was, the rest, he was a wrestler slash bodybuilder, as I discovered. Um, you can find uh, in 2018 a gentleman doing the same thing, working in the UK circuit by the name of, I kid you not, Justin, Shreddy Breck. Shreddy Breck. Shreddy Breck. Uh, Adam Foster, a.k.a. Shreddy Breck, one of my favourites on the UK circuit right now. He is a award-winning bodybuilder and excellent wrestler. So, big love to you, Shreddy Breck, if you happen to be listening to this nonsense. <laughs> well, see, here's, here's the funny thing about Art Thomas here. He's actually also known as Mark Thomas. Oh, that sounds like, a, sounds like a tax thing. Yeah, but for some reason he 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 went he went by Art Thomas here, and and they even called him Mark Thomas on commentary a few times, and him and Tatanka just had this. They had this really awkward match. There was no gelling here. It just didn't no. seem to click. And Tatanka went to the finish much faster than I was expecting because usually he gives, he's like a four or five minute match guy on these shows. This is like maybe two twenty two thirty. So Thomas jumps in before the bell, and this gives Rob Bartlett a chance to make a Marlo Thomas that girl reference that Vince actually gets. And is that why Bob Bartlett, Rob Bartlett, got fired? Because finally he made a reference that Vince got, <laughs> and it, and they knew it would, it would never be that good again. So quit while you're ahead. Exactly. So Thomas kicks the Tonka's ass for a while. And they get this awkward Irish whip spot where he goes to send Tatanka across. He kind of short arms him. So Tatanka has to like stop and then run the rest of the way. That was weird. <laughs> yeah. Tatanka takes over with an arm bar very casually at one point, tried to talk to him and try to get on the same page. So he, he gets a scoop slam, elbow drop misses. He gets up and starts with this loudly chopping Thomas. I mean, these things are just reverberating. And then very quickly, the end of the trail ends the match. And that was it. 
there was like no real build to the finish. It was just it was just one of those matches that just didn't click. Again, Tatanka seemed quite happy to be out of there. Yeah, it was not a fine showing. Although Thomas apparently, assuming this is the same man, would actually appear he'd actually appear on W programming since nineteen eighty nine as an enhancement talent. I'm assuming this is the same guy. Because if it, it is, might have been, yeah. Because because if so, he was still there as late as 1995, losing a match to Savio Vega on the later days of Wrestling Challenge. So yeah. Well, there you go. Well, it's... I'm glad that despite the fact that he was a pretty bad job type, he still had a job for a good while. Maybe that was just his one bad match. Maybe he was good in all the other ones. Maybe, maybe him and Tatanka had a fallout. Maybe um, there was only one. Um, there was only there was only one treacle tart left at catering, and <laughs> Art Thomas took it before Tatanka and was like, "That's just soured, soured me on you now." Just violated protocol. Could have very well done. He could have very well done. So we come to the main event, not the last match, but the main event. And I use that term loosely. This should have been the main event. This was not a good match. This was this is the most confusing match I've ever seen in my life, and that says something. And I've watched Shakara. <laughs> this is Money Incorporated versus the Beverly Brothers. This was so a going, weird old time. So now going into this match, Iris cuts another you know tax based promo where he taunts the fans. Saying he will not, he will not allow them extensions because it's after April fifteenth now. No, I want an extension, you baddie. Yeah. And DiBiase, of course, is you know, he's 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 the million dollar man. He's the consummate heel. He's been a heel there for six years. He's done nothing to dispel his evil tycoon image. So the Beverly should be the de facto baby faces here, correct? Yes. Okay, it's just I'm just establishing that. So Vince gets off a wonderful line, which I don't think came off the way he intended. Roland Reese says, nobody really cares who wins this match, I don't think. And I'm like, he's not wrong. <laughs> so Vince decided to take this 12 or 13 minute match and use it as a backdrop for mocking Rob Bartlett's intellect. And that's how he knew this was the end. Does he call him rambling Rob Bartlett in this bit? He, he may have at one point. But him and Savage are kind of going on about how Rob Bartlett is just stupid. You know, there's a match going on featuring the two men who defeated Hulk Hogan by disqualification at WrestleMania. But that's not important. That's and that's just scenery. That's like that's parsley, basically. The real meal is, is how is how dumb Rob Bartlett is. And he got a real shoe in from times from Vince McMahon. And I know that the rhetoric has been this this guy, this guy, but near the end, I I I've started to feel for him because I can feel a guy who now really wants to make this work and can be handed stuff and just <clears throat> run with it, and it's almost like the the better he gets, the less chance there is of him sticking around, which seems so unfair. And the more they chop him down in the process, yeah. So in this match, the Beverly's are double-teaming efficiently. Blake gets a Ronda Rousey cross-arm breaker at one point. 
which that I've never seen exciting. him do other than this match. So, so Iris has a blind tag where he tries, he tries to come in, but the referee didn't see it, so he's got to go back to his corner. And I'm like, are Money Inc. the baby faces now? Because the Beverly's are, are cheating behind the referee's back, choking DiBiase in the corner. The more I think about this, the more I think this actually isn't a face turn for the Beverly's, which I assumed it was. As I was watching the match, I went, actually, no, I've um, I've done, I thought this wrong. As, as I was watching the match, I was like, they haven't turned the Beverly's face. The Beverly's just don't like Money Inc. Right. So we have so this unique still... heel versus heel dynamic. Yes, they're both still villains at this point. And it's, uh, oh, it, it was just, it was confusing. It was, it was very, very, very confusing. And it was very hard to follow. And, and the crowd in Poughkeepsie clearly felt the same way. I would be remiss, however, if I didn't mention this part. We're during the match. They're going on about the whole Luna and Sherry thing with Bartlett because they beat his ass last week. And then Savage gets off this immortal line, which is, never trust a chick with a voice lower than mine. I like that. That made me laugh. <laughs> Savage, when he wants to, can, del can deliver a quote that you'll never forget. Savage forever oh. talks a lot of nonsense, but sometimes the, the nonsense stars align and they make funny words. Yes. Although his greatest line on commentary ever was WrestleMania 9, when Hogan came out with the black eye. And if you know the backstory as to how he possibly got that in real life, then this line's even funnier. When Jim Ross and Bobby Heenan are speculating as to what may have happened, Jim Ross said maybe he was attacked. Bobby Heenan said maybe he fell down in the shower. And Savage goes, those are two things that didn't happen. Because <laughs> they had a bit of a rook, didn't they? Well, it's been alleged. Yeah, the, if, the, the alleged was it was a bit of a rook. Yeah, that uh, it's a story that Matt Bourne told before his passing that Savage dinged Hogan for real based on real-life events. And uh, I'm, I'm almost inclined to believe that because the official version was a jet ski accident, so it's like so it just hurt Hogan's eye and nothing else. Well, the jet skis famously only hurt eyes. Like a fish jumped out of the. Yes, I'm. I guess like a fish jumped out of the water and hit him right in the face, and that was it. That's about accurate. That's about accurate. <laughs> so the money go back to being heels with IRS missing an elbow after a tag, and the crowd is kind of just well, they're there. Bo's choking IRS with a tag rope. IRS cuts off an allegedly hot tag. Not even a lukewarm tag. It's like a tag that had been taken out of the oven three hours ago and it's still in tin foil, but hasn't been recooked since. A lukewarm tag. Uh, it's not even lukewarm. Amazing. It's like three-day-old bathwater tag. Oh, a tepid tag. Yes, tepid. That, that's oh, the word for it, tepid. He got a tepid tag. So Bo makes the tepid tag by scooting backwards on his stomach and reaching up behind him like it was the moonwalk of tags. But I'll be on his stomach. 
Is this the tag where he gets the tepid tag? Like he's desperate to get out of the ring. He gets the tag. And then your man comes in, does like two moves, and then tags back out again. Yes, because Bo re-energizes in, in, in those 15 seconds. Does he have a cheat code <laughs> so that re-energizes him that quickly? He took the Gatorade 3, which you take after a sporting event. Right, with you, with you. The, the proteins your body back up. So now, all right, I'm good. and It works fast. It's fast acting. So, so then, DiBiase beats him by himself. Iris is on the floor for the finish. He's, he's been taken out of the action. It's it's Blake holding... I'm trying to think... I'm sorry, it was Bo holding... No, correction, back to the first one. Blake held DiBiase's arms behind his back. Bo went for a clothesline. DiBiase ducks. Blake gets taken out. He falls to the floor comically. DiBiase just rolls Bo up and pins him. And that was it. That was it. So, it's Beverly's were baby faces. They're incompetent baby faces. And also, if this was going to be the finish... Why not put the tag team titles on the line? Exactly. Because <laughs> I assumed when it was announced it was going to be non-title, I assumed that, oh, the Beverly's are going to win and it'll build to a thing. But no, apparently not. Put the belts on the line. Come on. I have to add to that, though, that the weekend after this match aired, Bo Beverly made his last televised appearance for the company. Oh, so we're losing Bo soon as well. Yes, Mr. Perfect beats Blake Beverly on an episode of Wrestling Challenge. Bo comes out during the match to interfere, but then gets sent back by the referee, and that's his last appearance. And that's it. Well, he's <laughs> He gets the, uh, the, the magma red card from the referee that not only sends him to the back, but sends him... Away from WWF altogether. Yes, and it's a, the, it's a the, lifetime ban. That match was taped the day after WrestleMania, and the day that it aired, which was April 25th, the Beverly's lost to the Bushwhackers in a 15-minute match over in Milan, Italy, and that was Bo's last match with the company. The Beverly's were well. Blake hung around for about four months after this, but Bo was not long for the world. Leave and the that memories would be alone. So Bo Beverly, Rob Barlett, this company's falling downhill. The two main company company men are away. Yes. And and ju- and just to compound that sadness, they we get another commercial for for WF Mania with Todd Pettengill. Just to remind us that Todd Pettengill's a thing. And for some reason the music in this one is louder. I think it just seemed that way to you because you were miserable. Maybe. Maybe I was in a bad mood so everything was just heightened. (laughs) I did some research on Todd real fast to see how old he was. He's 52 now, so he was 26 back then. He seems older. He's 26 at this point? Yes. Oh, my days. He looks like he's in his mid-30s. 26? Maybe the years are working with Scott Shannon did something to him. Maybe. You know, I know Scott can potentially be a tricky customer. I have. I name drop. Done. <laughs> I have done a a break on a radio show in Scott Shannon's studio. 
Really? Yeah. Um, one of my mates, name drop. One of my mates uh, is Broadway Bill Lee from WCBS FM, New York City. Oh well. And when I went to New York, uh, he said he, he saw me tweeting that I was on my way to New York, and he messaged me saying, "Well, I hope you're gonna come in and see me." I was like, "Well, I, I am now. Yes, thank you, Bill." And uh, and I got a tour of the home of Scott Shannon in the morning. And um, just as I was going to leave, Broadway Bill Lee said, hey, you can't leave until you've done a, a break on my show. I was like, what? Really? And uh, I, I felt like a 12-year-old boy again and had to do a, a, a talky bit on New York radio. Terrifying. Well, it's a bucket list item, is it not? Oh, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. I'd love to share the video, but I actually crashed the vocal, as the radio people say, and I'm embarrassed by it. But it was nice to do it. Ah, it's, it's probably sounds better than any vocal I could do. So that's my, my degrees of separation to Todd Pettingill via How Scott just, Shannon. What are yours? two or three away. Um, you I've must have some TV. degrees of separation to Todd Pettingill. I gotta. I've interviewed people who have worked with him. Does that count? That'll do. That'll absolutely okay. do. And, and that's all I want it to be. Keep it that way. So we go to a real interviewer, Vince McMahon, who brings out a man he calls the People's Champion. That being Bret the Hitman Hart. I thought it was gonna be The Rock in some sort of weird time loop. Yeah, I think Rock was still up in. I don't know if he was. He had to be out of college at this point. He was probably up up in Canada trying to play football. Unsuccessfully, I should point out. Although that did, it did, lead, it did lead Rock into the wrestling ring where he conquered that and he conquered Hollywood. And so, who needs Canadian football? Who needs that Canuck football? Bret Hart, mate. <laughs> um, if, if Bret's a fan of the Calgary Stampeders, he may be. So Bret's here. He's dressed to wrestle for some reason. Although I don't think he wrestled at these tapings at all. He's got on the singlet. The, got on his leather jacket. And he's talking. About, he's talking about feeling naked without his world title belt. Although that he does winged belt suited him down to the ground. The greatest belt in wrestling history. That is the definitive WWE. Mind you, I quite liked the WWF Championship circa 2000. You mean like the blue strap with the uh, that big round plate? Big round plate, blue strap. Um, the Rock carried it around a lot. It suited him. Yeah, yeah it wasn't bad, but winged eagle you can't beat so brett goes on about well first he vows to get the world title back but then he goes on to say that he's going to make a hit list he's going to run through the people that have wronged him and the first name on that list is lex luger because for the first time on raw let's keep in mind this is the third show since wrestlemania 9 we finally get the footage from that weekend of lex luger knocking him out during the big wrestlemania brunch I'll say it again. This is the third show since WrestleMania, and this is this is a big plot point here. This Are you is sure we didn't champion. see it at WrestleMania Nine? Oh no, it was on the Coliseum exclusive, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Oh, ah, yeah, this is then. Oh, blimey! <laughs> Three shows since WrestleMania, and we're finally seeing the world champion being knocked unconscious by one of the new top heels who has what Vince calls a controversial forearm. Because it has a bit of metal up it. Yes, it does. 
And it occurred to me that Brett never really had an actual feud with Luger. Yeah, because got... it was, I assumed this was going to be the next match they have. Yeah, but then King of the Ring popped up, so they put Brett into the tournament. And Luger was in also, but they were on opposite ends and didn't face off. Brett did tape some matches with Luger, like before TV tapings. And he did face him on house shows. But it never really materialized on TV after this. That's a shame, because I think they probably would have, at this point, been quite good for each other. It would have been a fresh opponent for Brett, and it would have mm-hmm. been a great learning curve for Luger to have someone the, the, the caliber of Brett teaching him a bit more. Because he still, although he was, he'd done stuff in WCW, he still felt very green. He was very mechanical, but... He... I understand he was like a very safe guy to work with because he, he stayed with the basics and, and with the right guy in the ring with him. He could have a, a four-star, four-and-a-half-star match. I mean, just look at Ric Flair. Of course, Flair could have a great match with an oscillating fan. Oh, Flair could have a great match with a broom. Oh, yeah, that's, that's the old Ric Flair broomstick uh, adage. But I'm wondering how far in advance Vince saw Luger as the Hogan replacement because he figured Hogan wasn't going to last all that long. I'm wondering if maybe... Uh, this Brett Luger thing shifted back then. It came on this is like mid-April 93. It's like, you know what? we got to save Alex because he's going to be turning face very, very soon. Because yeah. Luger kind of... He kind of faded in like May and June. And he, he was just a narcissist, but he wasn't doing a whole lot. Meanwhile, Brett got sidetracked with Lawler. So that's kind of a... Uh, I'm wondering when those seeds were planted in Vince's mind that this is going to be my new Hogan. This is my new muscle-bound All-American hero. I think it was, I think when we get to it, we'll talk a little bit more about the, the, the thought process and the mindset behind it, because I've got a few notes on that, but we'll do it when we get down the road on that. Um, but um, in terms of this whole bit with Brett, the bit that stood out to me was the reaction when he called out Hulk Hogan. He kind of mm-hmm. went through the list of people he wants to get to, of Luger, Luger Yokozuna. Yoko. And then Hogan. And as soon as he said Hogan, the crowd went, ooh, yeah. Like that. I thought it was more booze, like just booing Hogan's name. It's. I think that's what it was. There was general, like, dislike for Hogan in that crowd. And we'll see how much Hogan cared about this company in a couple weeks when we make a little note on the May 3rd episode of the show. Oh. He really made yeah. me cross. Watched it again. That bit watched it again recently. Really made me cross. I can't wait to talk about it at length. I think next week. Let's just say if you thought Brock Lesnar didn't care about the company when he was world champion, wait till we get to the Hogan thing. Gosh, he's he's gonna make Brock Lesnar look like Steve Austin in '98 in comparison. He's gonna make him look like Hunter in terms of being a company man. He's gonna make him look like John Cena. Exactly. That, that That's the best example. Before Cena. John Cena became like Brock Lesnar. <laughs> but, but Cena still cares. That's why he did it. That's why he invented the new finishing move recently. Did you see said new finishing move? I hope he wins a world title. I hope he beats AJ Styles with that move. I hope he destroys everybody with it because it would be the funniest thing in wrestling today. He's basically <laughs> now got, if you haven't seen it, kind of a Jushin Liger-esque palm strike but to the side, this is his sixth move of doom. And he, who is it? He pinned. He pinned. Was it Corbin? It was Corbin. He pinned Baron Corbin with this strike <laughs> as his sixth move of doom. Yes. And 
Can you imagine Reddit if he beats AJ for the world title with that move? I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm, I'm getting me some popcorn. I'm very, very, very excited. So we have one more match here. And speaking of pointless, the post-match angle that would never be followed up on for reasons. The, the match is Bam Bam Bigelow versus Phil Apollo, whom we have seen before. And some have rumored was the future babyface version of Doink the Clown. Although some have also said that it was a man named Ray Leachelli. It's never really been clear who the babyface Doink was. It's kind of, uh, it's just not concrete, let's put it that way. No. But Phil Apollo, who has a great head of hair, by the way. He looks like Potsy Weber from Happy Days. Beautiful hair. I know, it's fan. He looks more like a math teacher than a wrestler. I mean, he, he's pretty brawny, don't get me wrong. But it's just, he... He looks more like he has has like a real day job and and doesn't and shouldn't have time for this wrestling nonsense. <laughs> he doesn't look like a, a wrestler in that sense. Like you could see a man like him existing in, in everyday society but wearing actual clothes. Or a guy like Bam Bam whose head is covered in tattoos, and and, and is an ab- absolute beast of a of a physical specimen. Looks more like a wrestler. Yeah. So Bigelow on the way to the ring, he tries to make time with the raw girl who is wearing Daisy Dukes. He'll have to hold out for his main squeeze. Sherry! I'm Gosh, the woman of the nineties. Are you trying to kill your voice for real? Yes! It's like I've a kept, suicide mission. I've kept as much of it as I can until the end of the day. So, <laughs> You're saving for the Luna imitation. I've got a whole, <laughs> the I've got a whole the day to it. get it back. It's fine. So it's Bam Bam Bigelow versus Phil Apollo. Apollo! I want a Vince Luna commentary team stat. Oh my god, could you imagine? Welcome! Welcome! Ah, ah. It would just sound like lots of cats in dustbins. Well, no, well, now hold on. We have to have a third person because of the three-man commentary role. So Vince, Luna, and the Duke of Dorchester, Pete Doherty. Do you know who that is? I don't, but I'm hoping you're going to tell me. He was a, a wrestler from Dorchester, Massachusetts. He was basically just an underneath guy in the 70s and 80s and even early 90s to a small degree. He would also do commentary on like some Madison Square Garden shows, some Boston Garden shows. He had he had a voice like you wouldn't believe. And Scott Keith has called him the worst announcer he's ever heard in his life. His, hey, would talk like this. What do you think of that gorilla? Look at that physical specimen there in the ring. You like the legs on him? Huh? This sounds like an amazing team, and it should be a thing. He was the male Luna Vachon, voice-wise, Pete Doherty. He looked like a toothless Bobby Eaton. He really was something else. I think he still hangs around. Well, I mean, he's retired from the business now, but I think he still pops up like some local independent shows in the Massachusetts Massachusetts area. You just have to laugh whenever he talks. He just... It was like a rib that somebody put him in the booth just to either annoy Gorilla or whoever he was working with. He was so over the top that you couldn't possibly hate him. Let's put it that way. So, back to this match. It's Bigelow versus Phil Apollo. We get the funny spot where Apollo tries for a dropkick and Bam just swats his feet away like, like he's swatting a fly. That was kind of funny. Yeah, that was... that was Bigelow was funny in this match. Just a bit dismissive and very funny. I think another one keen just to get gone. Yes, and uh, speaking of funny, Doink shows up. He uses a trick umbrella to squirt the crowd, and then he mugs for the camera and leaves. That was something. That was wonderful. Like, thanks for coming. Bam gets this cool move at one point where he he puts like a standing chin lock on a on Apollo, and he turns his back to him while holding them holding the move, and kind of leverages Apollo backwards while putting pressure on his neck and chin. 
I'm like, that looks so painful. It's like, why does nobody do that move? Yeah. But a lot. If you're a big, if you're a big guy, then that is incredibly effective. And it looked like it, it would just kink your neck or stretch your back. It looks like it has like multiple uh, points of effectiveness. But it's just one of those rare things. It's like watching old wrestling. You see one move that you've never seen again. It's like someone should bring that back. Yeah, I you know, think. Like, I, who would you get to do it? It's like a Samoa Joe type move. Rusev could do it. Rusev, I think, very, would lend it quite well. It is a very torturous hold. Sabayman finishes quickly enough, diving headbutt, and that may have been the best match of the show by default. <laughs> because it was, it wasn't good. It was just wasn't as bad. It didn't. It didn't take up too much time. It didn't annoy me. Bam Bam seemed kind of motivated. It was there, but it was fine. Now, I believe that next, I don't believe I have been as blue-balled in pro (laughs) wrestling as I am about to be. Yes. Bam Bam, after the match, he's feeling awful jaunty here, so he decides to hit another diving headbutt on the poor, motionless Phil Apollo. And who should come out but Friar Ferguson? Friar Effin Ferguson. <laughs> That's what it says on his ECW t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> the whole effing Friar. So he comes out being the good soul that he is. He's trying to bring Philip Hollow around. It doesn't matter if Phil's Catholic or not. He, he, he's just happy to help a poor soul that needs some assistance. Bam Bam jaws with him a little bit. You know, he's like, you know, get out of my ring. And uh, but the Friar takes exception to Bam Bam's rudeness. So Bam Bam turns his back. Friar Ferguson, the future Bastion Booker, drop kicks Bigelow in the back and knocks him out of the ring. My God, and what a reaction. Because now there's this big guy who's going to stand up to Bam Bam. It's a classic pick on somebody your own size storyline. And then, and, and then the Friar blesses the crowd and then drinks out of his magical holy water flume. I kind of wish he had two holy water flumes so we could stand on the top rope and bang them together. Yeah, like <laughs> 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 just not just knocking back that holy water wiser i would say friar 316 but we're probably offending a lot of people by saying that <laughs> don't, friar don't, 316 don't says thou shalt not talk about your psalms talk about john 3 never mind talk about your psalms talk about john 316 and friar just walks off yep because that's what he's gonna do but they <laughs> tease us with friar ferguson versus bam bam bigelow and my, I'm hoping, I am hoping that my memory is shot and forgotten because I don't remember Bam Bam Bigelow versus Friar Ferguson. That does not happen. That's why I'm sad. Yes, this was it for the Friar, as we kind of alluded to last week. There were some complaints from the Catholic League, I think, in New York and some other religious groups. Didn't like the idea of a wrestling monk. They distanced themselves from the character and repurposed poor Mike Shaw as Bastion Booger who would team with Bam Bam at the 93 Survivor Series. So this is see, see I didn't know this much. I knew that Bam Bam and Fryer didn't have a, a, a match but is this the last time we see Fryer Ferguson? Yes it is. Oh this show sucks. We're losing <laughs> Bo Beverly. We're losing Friar Ferguson, and we're losing Bob Bartlett. Yes, this is like when Hall Nash and Waltman all left in '96. This, yeah, I'm I'm amazed that WCW didn't just bring these three in and make them the new world order. The Friar comes in wearing a baseball cap. Look at the adjective play. <laughs> Look at the adjective pray. Oh, <laughs> score for you. And, my voice and, is and, gone, but my mind is here. <laughs> 
fun coincidence or irony, when Scott Hall debuted in WWE 96, the match he interrupted had Blake Beverly in it. It did. Oh, nice. Very nice. So it all it, it all comes around, although I'm being called Bartlett Six, but because he was gone before Sean Waltman came in here, although that's yeah. coming soon. Next week's show, Bobby Heenan shows up, and we get the Vince Savage Heenan commentary team for the next six months that we deserve. As much as we came to kind of appreciate and respect where Rob Bartlett was coming from, being a fish out of water, being in a different environment that he wasn't used to or didn't have a lot of product knowledge. He tried to impress Vince. He put himself in, in these bits where he tried to entertain fans, entertain his boss, show that he could be a team player. But after 13 weeks of TV, it just didn't work. And that brings to the end our time with Rob Bartlett. Now, I kind of alluded to my feelings on Rob Bartlett earlier on in the show in the sense that it started out as a terrible idea, orchestrated mm -hmm. badly, annoyingly, in some cases infuriatingly. But it just felt like as he was finding his groove, we lost him. I think genuinely had Rob Bartlett stuck around for another six months, I think he would have improved massively. But we never, we'll never know now. I got to throw this in here. In early 1994, there was a video release called Monday Night Raw Prime Cuts. Now, there was two versions of it. There was the UK version and there was the US version. I know the UK version has some different matches, but on the US version, this videotape encompasses the first year of Monday Night Raw, the very best moments, and it's a great videotape. Probably one of the best tapes they released for Coliseum Video in the 90s. There is nothing from Rob Bartlett on that tape whatsoever. Not even the Flair Perfect match. The earliest match on that tape is going to be about four shows after this. It's just stuff from May through October. So I'm thinking they were more than happy to whitewash Bartlett from their history and pretend he just never existed. There's no Hogan it. interview. There's no, it's all gone. There's no Hogan interview. No Nasty Boys Head Shrinkers food fight. No Perfect Flair. No Repo attacking Savage. Nothing from the first 13 episodes is on that tape. The fact that we're now at a point where a lot of old faces are coming back round. We're getting no mention of Rob Bartlett. Keenan is always an upgrade. Even on his worst day, he's an upgrade. Uh, Rob Bartlett is keeping busy, though. Uh, yes, he just is. Just to let you know, he is uh, still very much uh, an actor, a writer. He's, he's still a comedian. Uh, you can listen to him on, on Imus in the morning and mm -hmm. on the brand new Rob Bartlett Radio Comedy Hour, Saturday nights at <laughs> 10 on 77 WABC in New York. I will say it is, it is kind of cruel that he lasted just three months, whereas Todd Pettengill lasted four and a half years. That's, uh, that is something. I will let you behind the curtain on this. Um, whilst the show has been ongoing, um, I have extended the olive branch to Rob Bartlett on Twitter. Have you now? I have. Because I feel like... We give him a lot of nonsense. Some of it deserved. And I think that if he was up for it, very much like L.A. Gore. L.A. Gore, call us. Just tell us, just three rings, just to let us know you're all right. All we want is three rings from L.A. Gore to let us know he's all right. Uh, but to Rob Bartlett, we, we know you're all right, but if you would like to come and talk about your time in WWF, We'd love it to have you on. He is at the Robbio on Twitter. I think that about wraps us up here for for this week's show. Certainly does. Next week, a the new era 
of Monday Night Raw. Next week's show will have Lex Luger versus Crush on it, which was advertised on this show here. As we mentioned earlier, Bobby the Brain Heenan will be in the house providing providing color commentary as God intended. Also on the show, also on the show just to throw the matches out there, uh, Mr. Perk faces Damian Demento, Typhoon faces Von Kruss, and Mr. Hughes faces Jason Knight. Some is the new faces. Some new faces, some old faces, and thankfully, Bobby to bring him. So from uh, Justin Roberts at JRH, Justin Roberts, sorry, that was the ring announcer from Jesus off of the Christ. wrestling. <laughs> well done, mate. You've been the ECW ring announcer. From Justin Henry at JRH Writed on Twitter. Uh, I am a very horse, Tom Campbell, at Tom Campbell. Hopefully, The Voice will be back next week. Regardless, we both most definitely will. Adam Pacitti smells like fish still. I smelt it in the car after him. Join us. Love you. Bye. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Cultaholic.